0: I think maybe the problem that Alberta has now, but has had for a number of years, not just uh, the current governments, there's not a lot of longer term vision about where we're going as a product.
1: Welcome back to Political R&D. I'm Deirdre Mitchell-McLean. And today's episode, we are going to talk about the Alberta government's expedited reduction in the corporate income tax. And on Monday, the Alberta government announced its recovery plan, which set off a wild conversation on social media about whether corporate tax cuts really attract investment. While many armchair economists, such as myself, love to have this conversation, if we're having the conversation strictly with other armchair economists, we might not be doing ourselves any favours. After seeing and participating in some of this, I decided to invite some actual economists to the conversation, with no character limits. As with almost everything that is associated with policy, there is probably some nuance that we might be missing. Today's guests are from the University of Calgary's School of Public Policy, Drs. Trevor Toome and Blake Schaefer. Welcome. Welcome back. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. So first, let's start with where we're actually coming from. Um, So I am a proponent of taxation to cover expenses, whether it be either an income tax or profit tax or consumption tax. So before we even start this, where do you sit on the principle of
0: the corporate income tax uh, taxation? Well, I guess I'll uh, <laughs> okay. start that tax policy issues and corporate tax policy in, in particular touches on lots of different areas and has lots of different uh, things that you should consider. Lots of pros and cons and trade-offs like with most policy choices. So what's the what's the goal of the corporate tax reduction of government of Alberta, it's to increase economic activity and employment, right? The 55,000 new jobs that they like to cite associated with that reduction to 8%. So uh, taxes, they both raise revenue and they change behavior. That's true of almost any tax instrument that is out there. So in terms of the revenue implications of lowering the, the corporate tax, it absolutely does come at the cost of um, public funds to the government of Alberta. And if that's not made up for with tax increases elsewhere, then it will ultimately result, I think, in, in lower levels of, of spending and that opportunity cost of public funds that could have been used for things other than the corporate tax rate reduction. That's an important thing to to think about and to debate. But getting back at the actual goal of the corporate tax reduction, corporate taxes do lower the return on investment and so then at the margin can discourage investment from taking place and so the reduction from 12 to 8 at the margin is i think the evidence is is pretty clear will probably increase the the level of investment whether that results in employment gains of fifty five thousand or not you know i don't know and i will never really know the precise implications of this particular tax change empirical work is hard but the effect is I think it's not controversial to say, probably bigger than zero. That may not be worth doing. It depends on what uh, the other trade-offs are that that reasonable people can weigh in different ways.
2: Right? Well, see, see, Trevor's so reasonable; it's always hard to, to <laughs> argue with him. And you know, in, in general, we we are really aligned on things. And this one, where I think we do have some disagreements, we've had lots of conversations about this, but this won't be a disagreement that would be appreciated by viewers of say Fox news or CNN, where one of us thinks tax cuts is the best thing since sliced bread and the other thinks it's the (laughs) devil incarnate, um, far more nuanced. So I, I agree with, with Trevor's statement that, um, and I think when you're having a nuanced debate, it's good to find common ground, lowering the rate on corporate income tax, all else equal, is going to increase investment Uh, because what you're doing is you're raising the after-tax return. So there's some projects that wouldn't go ahead at 12% rate or 10% rate, but will at an 8% rate because the after-tax return to the investor just there. But of course, that's that sliver, that's that wedge. So the question that Trevor raised is the empirics. How big is that? How many projects or how much activity really is there in that wedge? That's one important thing to I think there's something more important or bigger picture to think about is is this sense of all else equal. That's not re- the reality. Other things will change. We've lost revenue. So that that's going to change things. There's going to be these trade-offs as Trevor spoke about. So one argument you could make is that, well, we can cut corporate income tax because this is a really distortionary tax. It changes behavior that we otherwise want. And you could make up for that revenue with, something that isn't distortionary, like a value-added or a sales tax. And then if you don't like the distributional aspects of that, which I think a lot of people wouldn't like, well, you can add transfers into the mix. You can increase low-income supports to correct for the distributional outcome you want. And that actually, fair credit to Jack Mintz, that was a paper he wrote about five years ago where he proposed cutting the corporate income tax, introducing a value-added HST, and increasing transfers or changing the basic personal amount to keep it distribution neutral. There's a lot of merit to that. It's a good argument, but I would say for a classroom, it's not what we're getting in the real world, uh, especially here in Alberta. What we're getting here is we're going to get this cut in corporate income tax, and we're not going to get the introduction of an HST at least anytime soon. Maybe that's a second term discussion. Um, we're not going to get an increase in, say, the top marginal rate and in personal income tax to deal with distributional aspects and keep the revenue neutral. We're going to get more cuts to program spending, which we're already getting. And so that's the trade-off that I have concerns about. And even on an investment level, so forget about my personal tastes, but <laughs> on an investment level, that's concerning because people don't just make investments or move to a province for their activity simply based on what is the statutory tax rate. They care about the environment en masse for their businesses and for their people. So, you know, what is the quality of public health care, the quality of public education, the quality of nature and natural aspects, parks, um, you know, (laughs) uh, trails, bike lanes, uh, social supports and inequality, all those things matter. And I I would disagree, I think, with one thing that Trevor said there, which the role of government is to bring an investment. I might misquote you, Trevor, so correct me if I heard wrong, Um, is to bring an investment in employment, Those things are good, but that's not the be-all, end-all. We care about those things only in the sense that we care about the quality of life. Mm -hmm. That's what we really are concerned about for policymakers or government. In economic jargon, we care about welfare. And so those things do enhance welfare, but those trade-offs that we're talking about detract from welfare. Mm -hmm. And so quality of life or from an economist, welfare is a real objective function. So that's why I have concerns about extending these cuts even further. And we can talk about the, the wealth transfer possibility of making them immediate and what that really does to incentives. I think that's an important discussion. But yeah. So I think that, that real world
0: trade-off is, is what we should be talking about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, well, just to pick up on, on that, I think, yeah, Blake and I do agree, but we're agreeing in different ways, I think. Right. We're <laughs> emphasizing different different things and, and nothing he said, I I would disagree with and and personally, uh, completely agree with in the sense that livability uh, matters a lot. Public services matter and the quality of public services matter. But I view that as a separate conversation. I mean, there's two ways you could think about this discussion. One is around what's the structure of taxes that we have in Alberta. That's one area to talk about. And a second separate area is what's the level of taxes and what's Mm -hmm. the size and scope of government. This is very similar to the carbon tax debate. One of the very frequently made um, points in opposition to the carbon tax was that it wasn't revenue neutral. It was a tax grab and other rhetoric along, along those lines. And and again, I think if one's concern is that taxes are too high, there are many other taxes that we could lower as we're increasing carbon taxes to achieve a, a very important environmental objective. And if if right. one's concern is government revenue, then there are other taxes to increase, uh, taxes that are potentially more efficient. Uh, another dimension to uh, the, the income tax discussion is kind of an interesting question around what's the appropriate order of government. And I'm not entirely sure whether I would go this far, but it might very well be possible that Alberta's corporate tax should be zero and the federal government should be the one that has uh, uh, the tax placed on, on corporate profits, just because things are much easier to move around between provinces than they are between countries. And so therefore, it's more efficient for the federal government to levy, to levy that tax. But I think we ought to have a sales tax in Alberta in order to fund the quality public services that we want. And, and our attention shouldn't be entirely just on, uh, on the most recent tax change that a government made. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, corporate taxes, or a couple of years ago, carbon taxes. Mm-hmm. We really need to, I think, separate those issues.
2: Right okay. and if, well actually if, if I can just finish, like, uh, <laughs> rebut on that one i, I agree as well in the sense of those that is a helpful way to think about individual changes is is not to try to connect these things, just as he brought up in the carbon tax debate, and i wrote I think I wrote several op eds in that same vein of you know don't like that it's a burden on business, well, we can cut income taxes with the new revenue, don't like the distributional aspects, we can do transfers, so there are all these options and so I, you know, I'm saying that, but at the same time, I'm, I'm reflecting the reality of what's going on right now. Is It's helpful. I think it's important for people like Trevor and myself to speak in that manner and to talk about these options to, to correct some of the issues we don't like about a corporate income tax cut or, mm-hmm. or other issues that it arises as a result. But what I'm seeing is the reality on the ground right now is, is there is a direct connection between loss of revenue and reduction in program spending,
0: that mm-hmm. these
2: aren't inseparable in, in the real world at the moment, no matter how much <laughs> Trevor <laughs> and I push on getting an HST or or, or correcting it. You, you can't separate that. Right. And so we are arguing, uh, we're arguing a sort of a straw dog, if you will, of something <laughs> that ought to be, right but isn't.
1: Okay. And so, I do want to take two steps back there (laughs) because (laughs) when we were uh, this, this is something that I had never really thought of. I've actually, I have lived outside of Alberta. I've lived in Saskatoon. I spent a few years in, in Kansas city, Missouri. And so I've seen other places kind of how they work. I wasn't uh, politically engaged, so I can't tell you what the issues were really. But when I came back to Alberta I still didn't notice anything that was that was superbly different um because none of the places that I lived were what you'd call uh you know modernizing right it wasn't Vancouver which has their uh their massive train system it wasn't it wasn't in an area i mean there was transit in Kansas City, but we could actually walk everywhere because everything was close so um but one of the things that I noticed when Google was doing their search for their second HQ, when that happened and we saw their list of, of things that they wanted for livability for their employees, it put it in a completely different perspective that I was suddenly looking at Calgary and Edmonton and Alberta in general and saying, we don't have any of these things that this, I don't know, forward thinking company is saying, this is what makes, you know, this is what makes a, a good place for our employees. And that was really, it was eye-opening. It was very eye-opening for me. And so this is something where I think um you know people make that connection of the decrease in either well, any revenue. And and that's and that's where that's maybe the sticking point right now is that It's any revenue. It doesn't really matter if it was corporate income tax or if it was the loss of the carbon tax (laughs) or if it was, you know, a decrease in personal income tax. So there's one that wasn't actually, that didn't happen, (laughs) but that's what people are kind of looking at is that people are looking for an environment uh, that, that has a lot of opportunity, that is moving towards more of a modern livability Mm -hmm. and we're not moving in that direction. We seem to be moving back from that.
2: I think this is where, I think Trevor and I, I think we do agree on this, that the livability or this, the general environment that encompasses many things beyond simply the rate of taxes is is critically important. I, th- I think the difference in our arguments is a bit semantic. Trevor's argument is we can still get there because we can tweak other things and get there. My argument is like, let's connect A to B rather than A to C to B. Um, <laughs> but I think, and I'm saying this with a little bit of, you know, gut underlying it that those things matter perhaps even more than the cut in the statutory tax rate. I'd love to see more of an empirical effort to really quantify that. The anecdote around Google is an example. Um, Another example, I spent most of last year in Silicon Valley um, uh, doing a, a postdoc and the folks that I spoke to there all spoke about moving their enterprises out of Silicon Valley because it was getting quite expensive. And you know, once they've established, the, the newer folks couldn't really leave because you needed to have that tight connection to the infrastructure, the people, the VC networks in Silicon Valley to fund their businesses. But the more established ones were looking elsewhere. Austin, Denver, New York City, mm-hmm. not exactly a low tax environment, but they were looking for things that were about quality of life about having skilled work, um, uh, you know, large supplies of skilled workers, um, things like broadband was actually one of the critical things on their <laughs> minds, right? the speed <laughs> of broadband. Yeah. Um, but when I, you know, mention of what's the statutory tax rate, didn't matter to a lot of those folks because they were in the startup phase, it would matter eventually, it's not insignificant, but it wasn't in the top set of things that most of these folks would discuss. So I I would disagree a little bit with you, Deirdre, in terms of what we have here in Alberta. I'm a bit Calgary-centric because they're down here, but I mean, (laughs) we've got this massive bike trail system in Calgary, one of the biggest in North America. We've got the mountains less than an hour away and these beautiful parks that we take advantage of all the time. Um, You know, uh, I mean, there's the River Valley system and, and these beautiful outdoors and these amenities and clean air. and These are things people want. Mm -hmm. They really want, and we should be emphasizing these more. And I think our government does to a degree, but at the same time, not, you know, the, the parks thing is one of my biggest irritants, I should say. And I know that's small. I'm, I'm, I'm showing some of my, it's not um,
1: small to a lot of people.
2: (laughs) No, I guess it isn't small. It isn't small to me. I just, I guess I'm showing some of my, um, oh, I'm blanking on the word, but uh, this is one of the things that matters to me um, because I think it it matters for our future and it does matter in that livability aspect. And I, I think that is the crux of what I'm getting at. And I think it is the crux of, you know, the empirical studies around Kansas, why the Kansas experiment failed was because, in, in cutting the corporate income taxes at the same time and personal income taxes, they were cutting services. Now, granted, they were operating from a much lower starting point than we are. I should point that out. A much lower level of access, a much higher level of inequality. Mm-hmm. Um, but that getting in that direction, that, that trade-off didn't work. Yeah. And, and I mean,
0: that's a concern I have. It is important, though. I mean, Kansas has brought up so much with corporate tax uh, discussions that other things were going on in Kansas as well and if the the negative effects of lowering public spending on important public services is the source of the problem then we can and and i again just emphasize think we should distinguish size of government what it's spending on where we get revenue from from the issue of like what tax rates of different tax instruments should be i think maybe the problem that alberta has now but has had for a number of years, not just uh, the current government, so knock on previous ones, NDP, Mm -hmm. and then PC before it, there's not a lot of longer-term vision about where we're going as a province. Um, And there's going to be hundreds, thousands of decisions that governments need to make to improve livability, competitiveness, um, support startups, ensure that public services are of the high quality and appropriately located and delivered and so on. But if we don't know where we're going, then we're not going to be able to make these small decisions successfully along the way. And so may right. make a number of potentially counterproductive decisions, like scaling back on um, availability of parks and other natural amenities that exist. So I think we we first need to know where we're headed. We need that vision. And then maybe uh, you Maybe then we could more coherently approach uh, corporate tax reductions with other changes, and we could see more holistically those those trade offs and and why uh, potentially lowering corporate taxes can have uh, benefits in support of where we 're going i guess i 'll note that lowering corporate taxes lowering the um, lowering the potential disincentive to investment, there are other ways to do it as well. So the, the previous government had uh, tax credits, the Alberta Investor Tax Credit in particular. This is another way of lowering corporate taxes. Right. So the, the mere existence of this potential incentive effect of taxing investment returns is despite what we see on Twitter, something that both parties uh, actually agree on. They just have different policy instruments that they like to do. So the tax credit, what it does is lower the tax up front Mm -hmm. for new investment, whereas statutory rate reductions are of value later on when a project is profitable. So it's reducing in in the future. And so tax credits do tend to be better targeted at the margin that matters, which is Mm -hmm. new investment flows, tend to be cheaper for the government therefore as well. And so there's less of that potentially adverse trade-off with Spending, so I think a, a, a pretty good critique of the current government's reduction in the statutory rate is that it's more expensive than it needed to be in order to increase the investment in economic activity, which is their ultimate goal.
2: Right. You can see, Trevor hesitated there because he was probably going to use the ac- jargon "meter" if I'm <laughs> yeah. <right. Better> <laughs> marginal effective tax rate, which is basically that distortion he talked about—the difference between a project that would go ahead without a tax but is not going ahead with a tax. Is right. A bit of a measure of that, and like you said, that you don't actually need a tax rate of zero to to eliminate that. Going to what we call a cash flow accounting or expensing your your expensing for tax purposes, your expenses as they go along, it, it results in that. And one thing, actually, Jack wrote a paper last year showing that Alberta's marginal effective tax rate is the lowest um, already, um, and so that on the incentive investment margin, we were already there, and so that is one of my big critiques on just simply cutting the statutory rate right now. Now I will grant that it is a broader, um, credits can be targeted and whatnot. So this is a broad cut, but the issue, one big issue I have with cutting it yesterday (laughs) in one go is income taxes affect two things. One is new investment or new location decisions. So going forward. And the other is, collecting revenue from existing investments or existing sunk capital. Okay, When we cut statutory rate, we do affect the margin of new investment. That's good. But we also simply lower the tax that we're charging to sunk investments, existing investments. And so that is a transfer, if you will. It's not affecting anything at the margin. You could argue maybe it's extending the life of some sunk capital or whatnot. But Really, it's it's really a transfer, and, and and doing it immediately like that, like they did, that's not changing much on the investment margin. I think the argument the government might make is that by moving the stated eight percent forward, they're providing certainty. And so, you know, the issue is with the investment is once you make the announcement, sort of a classical economic theory. Actually, Trevor was my my teacher for macro and my PhD, and I think on our final exam had one where we had you know there was announcements made and you, you you show that the decisions on investment are done at the time of the announcement, not the time of implementation, conditional on it being credible. Right. I can't imagine too many people in this province or elsewhere who wouldn't believe that a U announced UCP tax cut wasn't credible. And so the argument that moving it forward, you know, solidifies that credibility I don't think was needed. And it was simply a costly transfer to people with sunk investments and didn't change anything. Uh, much at all at the margin of new investment that wasn't already made by the announced 8%, which right. would have changed investment decisions. Yeah,
0: I think that is the, the right way to argue in favor of the acceleration, or at least I can't think of another coherent argument other than it lowers uncertainty. Um, it, it's worth noting that there there is an incredibly high level of uncertainty uh, here around Canada, the United States, all around the world. Of course, because of the pandemic and all the fallout, from that, I think a, a prudent uh, entrepreneur would probably not assign a zero probability to the government in you know going into some really challenging budgetary and and fiscal uh, choices ahead. Might pause or you know, or cancel the planned corporate tax reductions. Um, you know there are other ways to provide that certainty, and that might be to actually bring out uh, a plan, a fiscal plan, a multi-year one. Alberta was downgraded uh, just the other day by Fitch um, and, and they emphasized the need for a uh, plan. This has been the kind of the um, common theme in before. a lot of rating agency reports, <laughs> that we're not actually looking forward very, very far. We're not budgeting in a, in a way that's uh, appropriate given uh, Alberta's uh, current situation, you know, revenue sources, oil and gas reliance and so on. Um, where I, I feel like I'm rambling now. I'm not sure where I was going. But <laughs> uh, but yeah, I completely agree um, with Blake's point that certainty might be one argument to accelerate it. There are other ways of providing uh, that certainty. And yeah, I'm not sure it would be... Um, so uh, I, I would... A lot of investment response right now.
2: Yeah, I w- I would concede that it's not a zero probability that they weren't going to go there. Right. I would argue it was probably small and yet this is a costly thing with much, not, not much bang for the buck of moving it forward. It, it, you could also, though, recognize that even before this, but even with doing this, with the additional loss of revenue, the concerns raised, raised by, by Fitch and the concerns we just know about, about the future structural economic fiscal problem we have in Alberta is going to need to be rectified. Mm-hmm. And so if you're making an investment, you have that looming uncertainty of like, oh, great. So we now we're sure that it's an 8%. But we're not sure if for now going to raise sales tax, right? And yep. we're not sure if they're going to raise personal income taxes. We're not sure if they're going to continue to cut program spending, which benefits our employees, and by virtue of that, we can better bargain on wages. Perhaps yeah. so. There's all of these new these certain uncertainties. I would argue that are increased as a result mm-hmm. of decreasing our revenue even further. So. You know, That's while fair. one uncertainty gets perhaps resolved for the time being, the, the others that we've talked about around, you know, livability or just in general, the fiscal problem remain or enhance by. Mm-hmm. by- yeah, fair.
1: Well, and so a couple of things out of that last banter. Um, one of them was, uh, was actually the, the city of Vancouver when they were, when they were making their transit, their transit plan was a 50-year plan. So so City Council at the time, and I believe this still goes for another 20 years or so, but so approximately 30 years ago, they sat down and said, and said, this is what's important to us as a city. We're going to make a plan to get there like, I don't know, maybe it's just because I'm in Alberta. So it seems incredible to me that that someone might continue with a good plan after the government changed, (laughs) even if it was town, even if it was town or city council, but they've actually stuck to that plan. So we know it's possible to, to, you know, set a long term goal. And I guess if it's, if it's a, a, a reasonable goal, if it's because they, like I said, they've they've stuck to it. So it's not that we can't do this; that we can't put something in place that will, you know, help get us to the Alberta that we want to have, uh, the what we want in this province. But there does seem to be more short-term, uh, you know, short-term decisions. Which again, COVID, you know, exacerbated that. Everything had to be short-term, and everything well, I'm sorry, not everything. Some things maybe should have changed because of COVID because COVID changed the entire environment, especially around investment. And that's what I've seen a number of people say as well, that the downtown Calgary and these, these vacant spaces, except now companies have just gone through three months of people working from home. And are they willing to invest in a downtown office when they're like, you know what we just made it through three months maybe we don't need that anymore so people are also looking at again this this nuance of this is different today than it was when the announcement was made right we're in a completely different situation now
2: yeah if you think by some of the arguments i think trevor and i are both making on you know what drives people or businesses to come to this province and livability being a factor in there one thing COVID will really enhance is the quality of public health. And here in Alberta, the quality of our, you know, our testing regimen is mm. world-class. Um, our public health system is world-class. If you contrast that with places where it's not, even if it's a lower tax environment, I want to be in that place that protects me against the next COVID. Yeah, um, And so, you know, these livability arguments, I, I'm just not, um, I think the, the nuance is neither Trevor and I are saying that a low tax environment isn't on its own um, going to increase investment? But mm-hmm. I'm not sure if if a low tax, you know, selling the picture of low taxes and office vacancies is really the attraction uh, as compared to some place that might have slightly higher taxes, but all of these you know boxes checked on the livability system that we you know all those elements we talked about earlier. Um, that's a great area of study, and I you know maybe Trevor, you know of <laughs> it of studies that are out there around that and it's, it'd be a hard one to do, but that is, I think the pressing question That is the change you're talking about Deirdre, where I think the world is changing someone. And that's what I was trying to allude to in my anecdote of, of Silicon Valley is those people who are really driving, the, you know, the tech economy, which is, you know, a real driver of North American economy right now. That's what they are looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that being said, once you get to the level of Amazon, I think you're just looking for the lowest tax environment <laughs> let's be honest um but 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 those behemoths aren't necessarily what we need for 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 growing the economy they're certainly nece- not necessarily what we want for diversifying, which is you know, entrepreneurs coming up um with you know ideas and and skills that are are looking for that livability quotient to attract talent
0: yeah i guess i'll I'll add building on on. Deirdre, you make about, I guess, COVID and the current situation, maybe changing the way people think and evaluate trade-offs. Um, yeah. A couple of weeks ago, there was CBC uh, piece highlighting some of the results from their Road Ahead poll that uh, Janet Brown and others have uh, put together repeatedly. And and support for, for adopting a sales tax has changed dramatically uh, in oh. the past couple of months. So when asked in May, whether people... Um, agree or disagree with the adoption of a sales tax, in particular because of the effects of COVID-19 on, on government finance, the, the level of support, the level of agreement with that was 40%, uh, with 17% strongly agreeing. So the opposition oh, wow. to doing things differently is weakening quite a bit. And then on, on addressing the provincial deficit, you know, how many would respond historically that we should address it with raising taxes Back in 2018, only 8% said uh, that we should do that. And now it's 18%, so still relatively small. But 31% say do some mixture of new taxes and spending restraint. Uh, So I think there is a change. That's music to your ears, isn't it, Trevor? Well, I I mean, we'll see if the government (laughs) responds to what might be this uh, change in In sentiment. I guess it depends on what their judgment is around whether people are permanently shifting their preferences over spending reductions versus tax increases. And I kind of hope that the current um, really crisis that we're going through does um, really highlight the value of high quality public services and the need to ensure that we prepare uh, for unforeseen eventualities in the future, that we have a government and policies that are That are robust and an economy that's resilient. And I think there's a lot that Alberta can do to improve on those dimensions.
1: Now, this is something that I actually took from uh, the wealth transfer argument about, I think it was progressive taxes and things like that, and how, or even with the carbon tax, with people getting such high rebates. uh, (laughs) There's obviously more to that. But when the government is reducing the corporate income tax in order to bring in uh, new jobs is essentially the, that's that's the the narrative at least, is that we want investment, investment will create jobs. We won't see any losses because the new jobs that are created, that personal income tax will cover the loss of the corporate income tax. So is that and And we did we did sort of touch on this earlier with the potential wealth transfer, but isn 't that essentially saying the employees can cover what we 're going to lose from the companies themselves i mean okay, when so they when they put it that way
0: there's kind of two issues there: one is just a generic empirical uh, claim around whether or not a reduction in corporate tax rates will increase government revenue either mm-hmm. because it 's increasing them through personal income taxes or the you know, tsunami Russia, then, of new investment yes. will increase the corporate tax base so much that revenue even there goes up. So mm-hmm. in principle, it's possible to imagine situations where a reduction in the corporate tax would actually increase revenue. And there are empirical studies that look at that in different jurisdictions. I think the most... Um, or the one I turn to a lot is actually produced by a University of Calgary colleague of mine, Bev Dalby, who tries to estimate the relevant elasticities by province. And at least in Alberta's case, we're nowhere near the situation where a reduction in the tax rate will increase government revenue. Mm. Um, It it may very well, and I'm sure that it's almost surely the case that it's increasing revenue, but not by enough to offset the mechanical loss from the rate reduction itself. Mm -hmm. Uh, In terms of the distributional implications of the corporate tax cut, like who pays, uh, you're framing it as maybe it's workers who are paying uh, rather than uh, corporations. It's important to remember, though, that corporations are really entities through which uh, we pass... um, uh, revenue and and profits through to owners. So there are implications of corporate tax changes for owners of capital, shareholders. And there are also implications for landowners and implications for workers and laborers. And so the incidence of the corporate tax is going to fall on different groups. So the Mm -hmm. corporate tax reduction is going to benefit uh, owners of capital and shareholders and uh, labor to some degree. In, In the same way that every tax is going to have uh, costs and benefits on different groups, even if they're not the ones actually legally paying the tax. But I, I don't actually know, and maybe this reveals my lack of knowledge of the full range of research in this area, but I don't think we know a lot in terms of whether a provincial, a subnational corporate tax change uh, benefits higher income individuals more than lower. I think okay. it, it's wrong to just presume at, you know, that it necessarily benefits higher income individuals more. Although I, I would probably bet that it does. I, I can't point to a s- strong research in that in that area.
2: Yeah. I mean, what we, we do know, and, and we don't know along the income distribution per se, but as Trevor talked about the incidence among those folks, I mean, I think people, when they think about a corporate income tax, they think about maybe the Parker Brothers monopoly character being, it's all on that one rich individual, maybe the CEO. Um, The reality is it it flows through to the different elements of that. And the best research we have in in the the top economics journal of state level changes in taxes is it's roughly one third, one third, one third, the incidence falls on shareholders, landowners, and workers. So there's an increase in real wage to some degree. Uh, When you cut corporate income tax, there's an increase in land values from places where you need the land for it offices, be it natural resources, what have you. And then, of course, shareholders benefit. So one-third, one-third, one-third roughly is, is about the distribution. Within that, though, you have to think, well, well, who are the folks that have those? So workers broadly distributed across the income distribution. Uh, landowners, I think it's fair to say that's going to be tilted towards higher income or higher wealth. Um, shareholders as well, I, I would think it's tilted towards. But, of course, you're going to have you know, a pension holder as a shareholder. And so it's not strictly the extreme rich, but I, I think it's pretty fair to say that it's, the incidence, if we were to look at it along income distribution, it's, it's I, I know, I'm speaking without the empirical evidence right in front of me, but I, my, my strong intuition, my strong prior is that it's going to be tilted towards the higher income. But I, yeah. I, I, would, I would also add that every policy the government enacts, be it tax changes or spending plans, even the park system thing, yeah. that has distributional consequences. Cause I, the word I was looking for was privileged. I privileged. Cause I use the park system almost every weekend. Mm-hmm. Not everybody gets the chance to use that. So to me, it's a big hit. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so perhaps there's a correlation of, you know, higher income, having more access mm-hmm. to leisure time. Um, yeah. and, and thus more hit by parks, perhaps not though, cause parks are affordable. So it's something that all people can enjoy so that, yeah. I don't know if that one has a real income distribution uh, a clear clarity there but everything has a, a distributional aspect. Um Trevor and I always like to point out that we can correct many of these things and we sh- ought to correct every uh, all of these things to a distributional outcome that we like,
0: you know, that we think at least society views as favorable. Okay. Yeah, I I do- I'd double down on on that point that- As Blake noted, everything has distributional implications and you may want to correct them. Merely pointing out the existence of a distributional implication of a policy change is not really a strong argument against the change. I mean, cigarette taxes are regressive, almost surely, hitting lower income individuals harder than than higher, but there are important health reasons why we ought to have cigarette taxes. And so to to the extent that we want to... Um, support those in the lower end of the income distribution, help through poverty alleviation programs, then we ought to boost supports uh, to those individuals rather than canceling cigarette taxes. This occurred with a carbon tax. Uh, Yep. Like with most taxes on goods and services, it's going to be regressive because lower income individuals spend a higher share of their income on stuff than, than higher income. And so a carbon tax, yeah, if just straight up implemented without any other measure is going to be regressive. But that's not an argument against the, the carbon tax because we can try and offset that with, with cash transfers. And if a corporate tax reduction is something that benefits higher income individuals more, um, and yeah, I wouldn't argue against um, Lake's intuition, I, I share it that it's probably going to benefit higher income individuals more. To the extent that we want to correct that, we can do it through uh, the personal income tax system. Right.
2: This is Trevor and I disagreeing. <laughs> <laughs> <We> agree.
1: <laughs> I'm glad you pointed it out for the listeners. <laughs> um, and all of that makes sense. And it's also possible. Uh, it's also possible. The recovery plan was. Uh, oh, Brief. Yes. That's, that's what it, it was very, there was not a lot of information there. So no. it could also be, um, you know, being charitable that we're not getting a lot of the behind the scenes other things that they are now looking at.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I hope that they follow through on a lot of the things that they highlighted there. So I, I agree that the plan was pretty. Brief. There's not a lot there. A lot of reannouncements of past things. Now, this mm. is politicians do that all the time. Um, the
1: numbers get bigger if you do it that way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but here, so I mean, in our in our current situation in particular, perhaps one of the most important thing that governments need to to think about improving uh, the situation of is childcare yeah. to really help people go back to work, you know, as it's safe to do so. And, and it's really difficult to do that for parents, single parents in particular, uh, women in particular, disproportionately having that constraint on their ability to supply labor, even if they want to, right. uh, because of, because of childcare and disruptions in K to 12 and, um, and, and all of that. And we did see some reference to the need to increase childcare in, in the document, but no, like meat there. So if right. this was just the start of a whole series of substantive announcements to come through the summer, great. But at the moment, it doesn't yet earn that uh, label that many are attaching to it of it being a bold plan. So maybe it will become one later. Uh, it's to work it its way into bold. <laughs> no, I agree. This was a,
2: a plan to make plans. There was not much on any of the... Diverse, you know, Diversification was in the document many, many times, but all it was was plans uh, to to look forward in that regard. And, you know, the the things we want in terms of livability, I agree, childcare was mentioned, but there wasn't substantive uh, measures around that. The biggest, you know, the biggest headline was moving forward the corporate tax cut, which was already something announced, just moving it forward. The infrastructure, the 10 billion number that's caught on, like we've all pointed out, 7 billion was budgeted and 1.5 billion was Announced uh, in the Keystone Excel, I think some of the smaller ones were already announced. Basically, about a billion dollars of new uh, infrastructure, much of it municipal, that they're banking on. Um, so there really, you know, there wasn't substantive increase. But I will acknowledge that the total number is a big number now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But this was not bold uh, by any means. Uh, this was kind of a little bit incrementalism, um, <laughs> mm. like by. Definition of it really.
1: Is this conversation? I mean, the whole reason that I reached out is because this conversation seemed much too difficult for Twitter. Uh, (laughs) It was just, what would you suggest to people who want to find out more, you know, want to put some pressure on? How do they expand their knowledge with something like this?
0: You know, this and many areas are, are difficult because they represent one's, I guess, political identity sometimes. I get the impression that issues around the, the corporate tax change is is Slightly a way partisan. to signal your, yeah. your group loyalty and membership with one party or another. Same with the carbon tax. Right. Um, and so so that's that's a problem in the sense that it encourages people to think in black and white terms that either the tax is going to deliver every single good thing you could possibly imagine or that there's nothing except a massive giveaway to the rich whereas yeah. like you know like with any policy there's there's gray there's pros and cons and and trade-offs, and we should always be looking for those. There's always something good to say. Well, I say always, 99% of the time, there's something good to say about a policy and, and something bad. There's always both. And you got to think about what's the trade-off, and then just reflect on whether that trade-off is something that you yourself would be um, willing to make or, or not. And I think one way to frame our thinking around this issue, corporate tax changes, but most issues generally – is to think about two comparisons. One is around what's the kind of mechanical effect of the policy we say, and what's the behavioral effect. And often there are two things. When policies change, people change their behavior. There's not just this mechanical change. So carbon tax, the mechanical effect is, yeah, it raises revenue. It it lowers household disposable income. Uh, The behavioral effect, though, is it might encourage you to shift into other activities that lowers emissions. Corporate tax, same way. The mechanical effect is it uh, increases returns to shareholders. Yeah. Uh, But the behavioral effect is maybe it increases investment in economic. activity. So that's one dimension to think about. How do people change their behavior and what's kind of the direct, obvious mechanical effect of a policy change? The other thing is um, equity versus efficiency. So some policies might improve. You know, make it more efficient for businesses to, to operate, might increase productivity, but might come at the cost of adverse equity uh, concerns. Maybe it benefits higher income individuals, for example. Uh, so think about those comparisons, mechanical behavioral and equity and efficiency in terms of almost every policy debate. And that can get you a long way towards evaluating whether or not it's a policy choice that, that you yourself would favor. And in Alberta, at least, for the past many years, it's never framed in this way. It's always black and white, and I think that's really missing uh, a lot to the discussion.
2: Mm -hmm. I think that the public en masse ought ought to, we all ought to check our biases when we are willing to make statements like, the carbon tax will change behavior, the corporate income tax will not. Um, you know i 'd like to see the the sets of the, you know, those two sets of people and see what the overlap is because it really does seem to fall on party lines, and so um, you know we ought to be able to say make a statement like I think what i 'm sort of saying here the carbon the, the cut in corporate income tax will increase investment all else equal, but i don't favor it because i don't like the direct trade off that it 's making with program spending. I think the nuanced argument that between Trevor and I here is Trevor may agree with that, but he would say, we can correct that through a third policy or a second policy, right. which is we can add an HST and then keep the program spending. So you don't have to make that trade off. Like that, I think I, you know, the logical brain in me loves that argument. Because <laughs> it's <true. Right>. uh, <laughs> and it's the right way to think about it, I think, but it isn't the real world of what's happening in, in policy making. No, or that, at
1: least without what we're being told, which yeah, is... At least
2: not right now. Yeah. yeah, Not what we're being told and not right now. And I struggle to see it on the table anytime soon. So I suppose the way the public can approach it is either go down Trevor's angle of saying, okay, we recognize maybe there's some growth benefits, some efficiency benefits of corporate income tax rate cuts. We'll concede that. But we don't like the equity impacts and we don't like the trade-offs and even efficiency implications of cutting program spending. So we want this, you know... This. So let's lobby for that. That's one way to do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Trevor's bill- got his billboards uh, ready to go. <laughs>
0: Fine print billboards while I'm holding Fine. it up. <laughs> yeah. like,
2: there's at least like eight economists ready to rally around that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's either that or there's the other side, which is probably the more reality is people say, I don't like the direct trade-off that I see today.
1: What we seem to be finding out on a regular basis is that Nothing is as simplistic as it seems, because policy is complex, and the information behind it is complex, and we keep searching for something that is simpler. Thank you both for joining me. Is there any final thoughts? I got those out of you already. That, that about covers <laughs> it. It's great
0: to be here. Thanks for having us.
1: Thank you for joining us for another episode of Political R&D. Don't forget to give us a rating on iTunes and Google Play. And please consider subscribing on Patreon for early access to episodes and more at PoliticalRND.